Hi, my name is Craig Tim, and you're listening to The Craig Tim Show. I want to welcome everyone who's listening today, because each time when we get together, I'm going to be sharing with you God's message on living the Christian life. Now, we all have doubts, doubts of tomorrow, even doubts of today. What is it that God wants from us? Well, I want to remind you that He is with you today, tomorrow, and forevermore. All you have to do is listen to what He has to say. I want to start off and ask you a question. Have you ever been discouraged or even swayed to dismantle your plans in doing God's work? I'm sorry to say that I have. There have been what I would call probably three main events where I felt very strong in my heart what God wanted me to do. And unfortunately, I succumbed to the enemy. And the fears that the enemy planted in my mind, I, I, I walked away. And to this day, there are times I still think about how I failed God and the hundreds or maybe even thousands of people that I would have impacted for God's kingdom. But then I pondered that a little longer and I said, who said that I failed? Who would want to hurt me and make me feel worse than I already do? Why would someone want to do that? Who was it that said I'd failed? I did. It's all my fault. I told myself that I had failed and God was disappointed in me and upset that I didn't proceed with what he'd asked me to do. Have you ever told yourself that you were a failure? Well, I have. The title of today's message is Opposition to Doing God's Work. I want to begin today in the, in the Old Testament. At this time, Babylon had overrun Israel many years before with devastating destruction of the city where they destroyed most all the housings, including the holy temple of God. They then hauled away most of the strongest and most of the capable people, and they just left a small contingent of poor to tend to the farm fields there, that they were no threat to their kingdom. Now, when Persia overthrew the supposedly invincible Babylonians around 539 B.C., Zerubbabel had found new favor from the conquering king, King Cyrus II. And under orders from the victorious Persian ruler, Zerubbabel was appointed, quote, governor over Judah. And he was sent back to Jerusalem in 538 B.C. or so to lead the effort to rebuild God's temple. Now, we might think when Zerubbabel arrived triumphantly in Jerusalem from the, the king's prompting and appointment that he would have been met with a glorious party feast welcome, anticipating the revival of the city and rebuilding itself. But that wasn't the case at all for him. The actual return was just a crushing disappointment for him. The returning exiles that came with them found Judah a wilderness and the holy city a total wasteland. Corruption was everywhere, especially among the priesthood. And the locals that were there had so much distrust towards this man and his contingent of returning exiles. Who was this foreigner? What right did he have to claim to be the Persian governor over our land? 
And at one point, the enemies of Judah heard that the exiles were rebuilding the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. And in an attempt to infiltrate and disrupt this glorious project, they came to Zerubbabel and to all the heads of the families involved in this. And they said, let us help you build. A very simple ploy. They really just wanted to keep a close eye on what the Jewish people were doing. Their whole goal was to keep Jerusalem from becoming ever strong again. Then these enemies claimed to worship the same God Zerubbabel and the rest of the Jews worshipped. This, in one sense, was kind of true. However, they also worshipped many other gods that they had made along with it. So, were they really worshipping the same God? Now, if we look back to 2 Kings in chapter 17... Verses 29-41, we find the battle between worshiping the Lord and the idols of others. And in verse 29, it says that each national group made its own gods and set them up in the shrines in the cities. And verses 34-39, through 39, the Lord reminds them about adhering to the decrees and laws that he had instructed them to live by. Thou shalt not have any other god before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. And the Lord goes on to say that you shall not make for yourselves an idol form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. This is verse 4 and 5 in Exodus 20. And these verses in Exodus just happen to be the beginning of the Ten Commandments given to Moses, who was to teach the Israelites about how to live their life. In God's eyes, these people couldn't call this worship when they were adding all of their other little gods to their worship time. It was sin and rebellion, plain and simple. That bottom line, that's it. And to these foreigners trying to muscle their way into the camp, God was just another, quote, idol to be added to their collections. You see, true worship involves devotion to God alone. You can't have any more of these other little gods if you want to have true worship and devotion. It's to God alone. Now you as true believers must be aware of others who claim to be Christians but whose continued actions clearly reveal they're only using Christianity to serve their own selfish interests. You must know that, right? You see, such a partnership that these people were trying to do with Zerubbabel and this would have caused God's people to compromise their faith. It would have been disastrous for them. But thankfully, Zerubbabel had God's discernment and saw right through their ruse and bluntly refused these foreigners. He then threw fuel on the fire, so to say, and he insulted them even more, saying, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord. Well, after that, the locals in Jerusalem did everything they could to frustrate and make the people of Judah afraid to continue building the temple. And they succeeded. These returning exiles were only able to lay the foundation for the temple at this time. The enemies of the Jews had won round one. But there is much more to come. Or, or maybe I should say there's much more to overcome. It's easy to analyze, scrutinize, and talk about who or what has caused delays and cancellations, deterrence, and all the other problems we face each day. 
you will know this as being the armchair quarterback. How many of you like to sit back and second-guess the decisions others make when it doesn't pertain to you? It doesn't affect you, but you're easy to second-guess it. You love to second-guess it, especially when the decision backfires or did not produce the results that they thought would have happened. It's so easy to be critical of others from the cheap seats, right? Sure it is. But what we really need are people who will not just discuss the situation and ridicule others, but we need to stand up and do something about it today. Are you going to be that person? Or are you going to remain on the sidelines speculating as a spectator? Which one are you? Now, Ezra, he led a second group of people to try and continue rebuilding the temple in 458 B.C. He succeeded in getting the temple rebuilt, but not without his times of opposition from the surrounding enemies also. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump all the way to the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was notified of the distress going on in Jerusalem, he didn't waddle in self-pity and grieve over his people and the situation at hand. He saw a problem and he prayed. Oh my goodness, what a... He prayed. And when he knew that God was calling on him to be the one to step up and go to Jerusalem and complete this project, he answered the call. Nehemiah left a very prestigious job in the king's court to fulfill the call of God in his life. And with the blessing of the king, Nehemiah recruited another group of exiles and off they went to rebuild the gates and the walls around Jerusalem. Now when Nehemiah arrived, he was taken aback by the chaos and all oh, so many more ruins than he ever thought. He was also greeted with immediate opposition before he even started anything. You see, the opposition to rebuilding Jerusalem had been going on for over 90 years by now from those who had settled there after the Jews were taken captive and Jerusalem was destroyed. Now we find that in every generation there are those who don't believe in God and actually they try to block God's purpose. But I want to let you know that when you attempt to do God's work, there will be many who will try to oppose you. As a matter of fact, they will even hope that you fail miserably and continue to tell you that you will fail and how lousy you are at being a failure. However, if you expect this opposition to rear its ugly head at you, you will be prepared rather than surprised. In 1 John 3.13 it says, Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. See, when we are living for God, the world will often hate us. Why? That's a great question. Why, why would they do that? Because our actions and our voices make them painfully aware of their own personal and moral ways of living. And they don't like it. What they really are feeling here is conviction. But they would never admit that, would they? No, they would try to blame you. Now, knowing that God is behind what you're doing for him is the best incentive to move forward in the face of opposition that you come up against. You know he's back behind you. He knows that he's supporting you. Just drive on through that opposition. 
Now, before Nehemiah took any action here, he surveyed this dire situation he faced, and he prayed again, prayed only for three days this time, for direction and wisdom to do the job he was called to do. He prayed to God. Heartfelt prayers like Nehemiah's can, and they will help clarify any problem you may be facing. It will show you God's great power to help you. And when God's people pray, challenging and difficult decisions fall into proper perspective and give you the guidance as to what appropriate actions you are to follow. Whenever God's purposes are at work, don't hesitate to ask for success and completion of the task at hand. Don't do that. Ask for fulfilling God's purpose. I want to pause here a moment and I want to ask you, has fear stopped you from doing something that God has called you to do? It's happened to me a couple of times, I'm sad to say, like I said earlier. Nehemiah also had fears about these huge undertakings, but one thing he did, and unfortunately I did not, he was that he admitted his fears and he believed in what God had told him. He didn't allow those fears to stop him. When you allow your fears to rule over you, you're making fear more powerful than God himself. God is greater than all of our fears together. And recognizing why you are afraid is the first step in committing it to God. When you realize what God has called you to do a task, he will help you accomplish all of it. Now, after three days of this prayer from Nehemiah, he gathered his people. They gave each group a different task in rebuilding the walls based on their expertise and abilities, using their strengths to do the work that they could do best at. And once the walls began to go up, opposition again became a factor in trying to complete his mission. When Sanibelt, who was governor of Samaria, located just north of Jerusalem, and Tobiah the Amorite, working together with the Arabs and Men in Mashad heard that these walls were being repaired and they were going up quicker than anybody expected. They became very angry here. They tried to dissuade the Jews from completing the project with ridicule and discouragement and names and anything else they could think of to dis distract them. But instead of getting into a verbal fight with these men, Nehemiah prayed. He prayed. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah is not praying for revenge, but he's praying for God's justice would be carried out. That's what he was. And when you are mocked for your faith or criticized for doing what you know is right, I encourage you not to react in the same way back to them or become discouraged. Talk to God. Pray to God as Nehemiah did. Tell him how you feel and remember his promises to be with you. And when God calls you to a task and you begin to feel overwhelmed, tired, discouraged, 
be determined to complete it. And remember God's purpose for your life and his purpose for this project at hand he's given you. Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16 says, So the wall was completed in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. The faceless locals and the enemies of the Jews said that completing this wall couldn't be done. It was done. The job was too big. There were too many obstacles. Don't let the size of the task or the length of time needed to accomplish it hold you back from doing it. Unbelievers and evil spiritual forces are always trying to work against God and his people. Discouragement and fear are two of the greatest obstacles to completing God's work we're up against. Most often, they come where and when you least expect it. Of course it does. It tries to surprise you. Discouragement eats away at your motivation and your fears. Well, fear ends up paralyzing you so much that you really just don't act at all. It's debilitating. Now, if you recall our first example of today's message, Zerubbabel, he was trying to complete his work for God in rebuilding the temple. And when the people halted their work because of opposition, there were 16 years where no work was being done at all. Now, we don't know what he and his people did during that time, but we do know that after the first months of excitement and accomplishments, discouragement quickly set in. And the local opposition thought they had won, especially when all the hopelessness set in for the people. They were rejoicing that they had won. They had stopped the rebuilding. But God was not discouraged. His plan was in motion. And the game was not over. It wasn't the fourth quarter yet. Because God then brought in reinforcements. He sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to encourage and reignite Zerubbabel. They regrouped and they confronted the people's reluctance and comforted them all with their fears. And with renewed energy from everyone, the work began again. And the temple was completed in only four more short years. It should have taken them many more, but they were not going to be stopped after that. Zerubbabel knew how to start well, but he found it hard to keep going with distractions and opposition. Do you find yourself that you start projects well, like Zerubbabel? With all the initial excitement, but then it fades quickly when the road gets a little bit rocky, so to say here. And do you find yourself getting easily discouraged at the first sign of oppositions to your calling? Do your successes only depend on the quality of encouragement you receive? Setbacks and standstills are all painful and they're full of discouragement. But as a leader, you need to do everything to keep the work from grinding to a halt. There are many circumstances way beyond what you can manage. But when you let God take control, the work always gets done right and in His perfect timing. And you must not let circumstances or lack of encouragement slow you down from doing what God has called you to do. You press on, knowing that he is there and behind you all the way. God gives us wonderful opportunities to share the gospel with those around us each day. But as you do this, you're going to face opposition from those who want you to fail. Some are going to reject your message because 
Yeah, they're going to want to try and keep you in your place, right? Others, they only want Jesus for what he can do for them, such as getting them out of all their self-imposed jams and providing miracles in their crises of time that they're in. And still others, they're going to reject you because Jesus is not what they expected for them. They're harboring anger and bitterness towards society, and they just want to blame somebody all the time. My last question for you today, when you meet opposition head-on, how do you react? Whenever you feel that you're brought to a standstill, I want you to remember to still stand strong in the Lord and all of his promises. Lord, we thank you for today's message. We come across opposition every day in our lives. Whether we're trying to do something large scale that you've called us to, or just being consistent Christians every day in our walk. We're always trying to be knocked off our course. The enemy is always trying to bring others into our lives or circumstances to push us over the edge, so to say. But we know... Your word is the truth. Your word is holy. Your word is the final word. We hear it. We've seen it. And we know it deep down. We just need you to be there and let us know you're there in times of these uncertainties, times of these doubts, times of these challenges that we feel we can't overcome. And we can't overcome it ourselves, Lord. We need you right there in front of us to knock the enemy away and we can keep on going for you. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your promises that are always true. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. They're there and we're going to stand on those each day. Bless the listeners out there that uh, have pulled this up and to hear your word. And I pray that something clicked into them to give them the confidence to continue moving forward and not sitting on the sidelines, being a spectator. In Jesus' name, amen.